What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Geek Burrito, where we throw together to chow down all of your favorite geeky media entities. I am the Great Town, alongside of your co-host, Halloween Queen T, and joining us again for the second time, special guest star, Willie Ramon. Say hi, everybody. Hello. Hey, what's up? <laughs> what's going on? All right, so how's everyone doing this week, first off? I'm okay. I went to a concert last night, and my husband was performing, and people got a little rowdy, and my finger is in a splint at the moment, so I guess it was oh. a good so that's a good time to me that sounds like if you didn't give your finger in a splint or nobody got injured then it would be a dull party <laughs> no exactly yeah you might hear some clinking in the background i'm part robot at the moment so it's okay she's the bionic woman you know me so will how you doing how was the how was the show last night how'd you do fantastic time Beautiful. Trays of cookies thrown about the room, <laughs> decorations torn down glasses breaking people falling all over the place Oh, it sounded like yeah, truly metal time. And you were in well, um, you were in Poughkeepsie last night, right? You were in actually yep. that's, that's yeah, nice, very nice. They have a studio, a studio stay like what type of venue there? Yeah, they have bigger venues there, but we were playing in just a uh, just the back room of a bar, basically. Oh, they nice. were having their there was a class reunion of 1999 that was going on, and it went a little late, so it was kind of funny to watch all these yuppies essentially be. Oh. Uh, terrified by a man in a priest <laughs> outfit which is the lead singer of the group baptism and, uh, by fire quite literally pretty much and there were like he like he said there were cookie trays being tossed all over the place it got very very crazy oh as a matter of fact i think something was inserted into the singer's ass at some point last night <laughs> did anyone get this on film the most important yes. question of the night yeah. yes. yes okay in case anyone out there don't know and everyone's wondering, Willie Ramone is a, a the, the uh, leader of a band called the Carb Operate, an intense heavy metal punk band, and they are just wild. So anybody wants, you could check him out. Uh, where can they check you out, Will? Uh, we're on Instagram at the Carb Operate, Facebook Carb Operate. Just 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 search that anywhere you'll find it. We're the just, one. And uh, only. Yeah, Google Carb Operate, Google. three words, and you'll you'll just you'll be blown away. So absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, what a perfect way to start this entire segment because I think we're celebrating 11-11. Yes. And 11-11, in case anyone doesn't know, it's Satan's Day. I mean, excuse me, National Metal Day. <laughs> <laughs> National Metal Day, 11-11 every year. And in honor of National Metal Day, we are going to bring you this special podcast going off the rails a little bit. We are going to bring about six metal albums for each of us between the three of us so 666 if i'm not mistaken that's some type of number of a beast if i'm if i'm not mistaken <laughs> so we've been told <laughs> and we're gonna give it to you uh, straight our six albums each that you should listen to on this glorious glorious holiday merry christmas wrong holiday yeah. sorry okay. happy oh, birthmas <laughs> hail, hail satan <laughs> yeah all right so all right listen we're kind of doing this off the cuff guy like we usually have this a little bit more Right. program so we're 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 kind of free balling it a little bit <laughs> fuck it yeah. we'll do it live fuck it we're doing fucking, it live <laughs> fucking thing sucks we're doing it live <laughs> roll it again but anyway we All are right, gonna so, just do it live so so halloween queen let's let's start just start you off we'll, we'll start with you i guess and then we'll I don't know. You want to do that? Well, yeah, we're Why all going to take turns here. Okay, so Let's go. this is going to be my number six. Again, we're trying not to put this in a format of our like top six, like in, I guess, to some degree, numerical order. But these are some of mine. Okay, we're, we're going to do my suggested number six is going to be, and I'm going to get a lot of fucking slack, and people are going <laughs> to turn off the podcast, and I'm sorry, but Death Magnetic by Metallica. 
Oh, I'm going to keep listening. I need to hear this. Okay. So, <laughs> that's, that's all right, here's the thing. Choice. I don't, listen, I don't have notes, okay? We're, like, I'm throwing myself into the fucking fire at this moment. Death Magnetic was an album, when it came out, it was something that I listened to, like, often. It was a really, I don't, I don't, man. I just, it's mm, a little bit of nostalgia for the time for me that it was all we were listening to. And one of my favorite songs on there was The Day That Never Comes. Um, that to me was a song that really stuck out for me personally for Metallica's career. Oh. I'm waiting for him to give me fucking dirty looks over here. I'm sorry. Oh, um, no, I, I, yeah, I'm not. I'm just like in, in love right now because Day That Never Comes is my favorite song off that album. So please yes. keep going. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that song. I think it, it, it kind of touched on... Listen, Metallica had a moment in time that to me they kind of little they went a little off key. You know, we're not going to talk about. I won't talk about certain albums, even though you guys. Tend to <laughs> it. Um, but it kind of brought me back to a little bit more of that '90s Metallica vibe with that particular song. And then I'm trying to think. Uh, All Nightmare Long to me was a fantastic song off that album. Overall, production-wise, it's just I I loved that album. It was the first time that I put that on, and that's all we fucking listened to. And for the record, before we start this entire segment, I'm not an album person, so this putting this list together was incredibly hard for me because oh. I don't listen to just metal. So the problem is I'm so universal, and I don't listen to a lot of albums through and through. But this particular album was one that I was confident to have because it was – it reminds me of 2008. Like it's a really stuck moment in time of like, that was the album of like, that's all we fucking listened to Metallica to me fucking killed it. And I also love the fact that there are songs when we see them live, that it's not the same fucking set list. Cause don't forget for years, we listened to the same shit. I love that we added a new plethora of songs that now to me are classic. It's not that old, but to me it's like, it's like a, it's on that classic roster. Absolutely. Definitely a more so underrated album for its time, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I really love that album. It grew on me over time, though. At first, when I first listened to it, I was like, yeah, it's good. But then as you keep listening to it, it's like, wow, this is really fucking good. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, it yeah. grew on me. It definitely grew on me. Like certain songs, even the Judas Kiss grew on me because I was like, what the fuck is this? I think... <laughs> I think overall, it it was when I first listened to it. You know, you're kind of judging it because you're expecting. I think just you a, you know a flash in the pan of the same shit that you're so used to. And I think it wasn't until we kept listening to it that I heard the growth. That I was listening to what they should have done before, like Saint Anger came out. You know what I mean? Like, it could, I'm sorry. Like that's it. It kind of made up for that for me. No, I mean, and Day That Never Comes, I'm so happy that you mentioned that because that, I mean, all the songs on the album are really, really good and really strong, but The Day It Never Comes, just to me, it can be applied to anything. I mean, whatever, you know, the lyrically, it's just superly, super sound and, and super well-written, and I really appreciate that song. And it starts off really slow, it fucking goes crazy in the middle, and then it just finishes really strong on that crazy uh, plethora of solos, and it's just insane. And yeah, so Will, what is your thoughts on that? Solid album. Uh, doesn't have the best production value. I know a lot of people complain about that, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, it was a very good album, and it was kind of a comeback for them at the time. I know a lot of people didn't like their '90s stuff. A lot of people hated Saint Anger, so this was kind of like a return to form with the thrash sound being prominent again, and the longer, more complicated songs, guitar right. solos being back since they weren't on Saint Anger at mm -hmm. all. Yeah. But uh, yeah, from top to bottom, it's good. Uh, I could do without Unforgiven Three. And Suicide and Redemption, I think, was kind of pointless. But other than that, it's it's a really good album. 
Well, if we didn't have Suicide and Redemption, they couldn't have stole that solo and copied and pasted it into Atlas, <laughs> Atlas Rise on yeah. the Hardwire. Uh, that's <laughs> the exact same fucking solo. It's insane. But production-wise, it's interesting you should mention that because now that you, you mention it, I did remember when the album first came out, people were complaining a lot about the sound quality of the the balancing between the instrumentals, like the drumming more so, like it sounded off-key, off-putting. I don't know how true that is or not, but I, I mean, I didn't really have a... Then again, I'm not a musician like you are, so I have no input. Well, but, uh, from a musician's standpoint, everything is pushed very loud into the mix. So the guitars yes. are way up, the drums are way up, the bass is way up. So everything is competing for like the same sound space. Yes, and, it wasn't very a, loud. Out. Yes, when, you, when you make a record, like the instruments have to fill a space, so you can't have everything pushed front and center as loud as possible because it just makes a mess. You have to have right. certain things balanced, tucked, you know, tucked lower, tucked up, side, you know, pan to the side. And that album, for some reason, was just everything was just right up <laughs> to your face. So it it's interesting. There's actually a the tracks for Guitar Hero were mixed better for some reason. Really? Yeah. Huh. So a lot of people online have put the all the the Guitar Hero tracks up for download because it's a much <laughs> it's much more listenable. I actually I do remember listening to the album on headphones, and it was almost unlistenable for me on headphones. It was yeah. Like in the car for me, whenever like a song from Death Magnetic comes on, I'm like, I have to lower it like five notches. And I'm like, yeah. wow, this is really fucking loud. Yeah. Like super loud. But yeah, so okay, great. Yeah, so I guess we'll go number with your six. number six. Yeah. All right. Oh. Well, you can't have a metal list without Slayer. Of course, yes. It's probably not going to be the album people expect. I'm going with Undisputed Attitude. Oh, nice. Oh. Off yeah. the rails. Well, I know uh, for a long time... Seasons in the Abyss was my favorite Slayer album because it was kind of like amalgamation of their fast thrash sound of Rain and Blood and the more slower, moody, atmospheric stuff from South of Heaven. So Seasons in the Abyss was kind of like always the ultimate Slayer album. But then as I've gotten older, my attention span is dwindling. And I'm like, ah, I don't want to hear like longer songs, slower songs. Now Rain and Blood is my favorite because it's just fast and it, it just kills you for like 25 minutes or whatever yes. it is. Right. And then, then I realized, well, Undisputed Album was the very first album i ever heard uh ever at the at the age of 10 years old i bought that in a danzig cd and i didn't even know what i was listening to i didn't even know the slayer album was all covers it was just so fast and intense and loud and it was aggressive so it kind of stuck with me and, and i would realize later on how influential the album would be to me because these are all hardcore punk bands that now influence my band so now I've grown to love all the originals over time and then hear Slayer do them and make them even more intense and louder. Yeah, for me, it's it's like the ultimate Slayer album. Excellent. Yeah, I think my favorite song off that album, I only listened to it a handful of times, probably Gemini. I love that fucking song. Oh, that's the only original. Oh, that's the only original too. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's, that's Kerry King and Tom Mariah. They wrote that. Beautiful. Yeah, the rest are all covers. I mean, there are two songs in the middle that Jeff Hanneman wrote. He had a, apparently a punk side project in the mid-80s that never got off the ground. Oh. So two tracks in the middle are like semi-original because they're written by Jeff, but they were right. never hurt by anybody. So they're technically covers, but no one knows them, so they're kind of not. Ah, okay. That would be, uh, be D-Dam and Can't Stand You, by the way. Oh, okay. Oh, nice. Interesting. I did not know that, that he yes. was trying to get a... Oh, hmm. pretty cool. All right, pretty now what cool. about you? Me? Um, well, we're going to keep the trend going with Slayer, baby. I'm going to keep it number six. Uh, my suggested six for you people out there, if you're you know, on National Metal Day, if you're interested in getting into the genre or, or uh, checking it out. Slayer, this is the second Slayer album uh, on the podcast that we're going to say, Show No Mercy. I'm going back to basics, baby. The first 
Show No Mercy out there. First album, pretty much. So yeah, I did like a little like I'm just just rambling here. So I, you know, the the good and bad about this album, in case you guys want to know. Uh, the goods for me, singer Tom Mariah, this fucking brutalizing screams just throughout the entire majority of the songs. Even you can even see why he fucking damaged his vocal cords today because this album must have been just fucking intense for him to record. Uh, which is why he sounds like a pile of dog shit today. If you ever hear him <laughs> pretty much on, uh, on anything live. Uh, also lead guitars, Kerry King and the late Jeff Hanneman's, uh, dual solo battles on such songs like black magic, evil has no boundaries, tormentor. And my favorite song on the album, which is the antichrist is as raw as it is freaking powerful. It's short, but sweet. It's like a two minute song, but it's fucking just, you get you in there. It fucking gets you off and you're just on your way. <laughs> And the only negative about the album I could really find, because I was doing like a pro cut. By the way, people, this was definitely, like Halloween Queen said, the hardest fucking list I've had to make in my entire life. I was like begging to like add another one, and I'm just like, <laughs> keep going. But anyway, uh, the only bad thing, if I could find anything, it's the drumming is, while phenomenal, David Zimbardo was phenomenal on pretty much everything he does. A lot of the songs on Show No Mercy, it didn't showcase his drumming talent as it did in other other albums, such as Seasons of the Abyss, Rain and Blood. You know, it just it was really good, but it's just his drumming in particular didn't. There was no sections where I was like, oh, wow, that the fucking drumming solo here or like the drum section sounds amazing. But not 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 bad thing. Just you know, just other albums like Rain and Blood, and Seasons of the Abyss are a little bit uh, more uh, outstanding for the for the drummer Dave Lombardo. And if you guys want to know, I have some facts here. I mean, Will probably knows all this, but I'll, I'll read it anyway. The first fact they have for you about this album is the band was signed onto the, a label in 1983 after a scouter from Metal Blade uh, label saw them perform a cover of Iron Maiden's Phantom of the Opera live. Out after the first album, and also was it self-financed by the vocalist Tom Mariah, and lead guitarist Kerry King simultaneously using their life savings. <laughs> and although it was poorly produced, the album was immensely successful on the record label, becoming their highest selling release on Metal Blade, the Metal Blade label, that is. Yes. Got it. And also, vocalist Tom Mariah was actually working as a respiratory therapist before he started <laughs> really? the fucking touring. Yes. And he used his Camaro as a, and rented a U-Haul and he did not have a manager for the first chunk of their first tour. And they were all very independent and utilize very, all self-reliance in the first part of their tour they brought about friends and family members as roadies to fucking help them with the equipment and shit it was fucking madness <laughs> and uh even though it was their debut album and now considered a classic it only sold twenty thousand records worldwide like in the recent like to date i guess you could say um, really that sounds low as hell yeah i mean i really low really low but it's i guess it's because it's not one of that if rain and blood if you look in rain and blood i'm sure it fucking treble platinum by now i mean you know, yeah, and and why this album is important to me, Slayer. Honestly, it's important. I not only I listen to this album like fucking more times than I can count. Slayer to me still considered to be one of the fathers of thrash metal, the subgenre of metal, and this album to me birthed a raw and powerful stance in the subgenre and proved to everyone on the metal scene at the time that they were fast, loud, and proud, and were here to stick around. Wow, those are. Those are great notes. As you can tell, Grey Talon definitely just put his heart and soul and ball sack into this list. It took me almost three weeks to do this. <laughs> this is insane. I, I like how I'm just totally free balling it. And this is like the most, this is going to be the most important day of Grey Talon's life. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. More important than my wedding, but don't let my wife hear that. Oops. Oh, she, li- like, she listens to the podcast. <laughs> she's our number one fan. Now she's not our number one fan anymore. Now she's going to like... It protest this podcast it's all over <laughs> she knows where we live that's it she's gonna come down sears with a freaking um with the machete and a hockey mask 
That's it. <laughs> All right. So just to get the ball rolling. So I guess this would be my number five. And this is another one that I don't, I feel like it's going to be like, ooh, ah, I don't know if that, well, I guess it's mad. I, I don't know. I'm a little iffy on it. The band Times of Grace, the album is the hymn of a broken man. To give you some context as to what Times of Grace is, that is actually the lead singer from Killswitch Engage, as well as the guitarist Adam D from Killswitch's project. So it's like a side project that they did. So they came up with this album. It, it had influ- different influences that Jesse, so Jesse Leach from Killswitch, he left Killswitch, came back. He's been the current singer again for the last, I don't know, like two albums, I would say, less. Four albums. Four, the, wait, the most recent ones with with Howard? Oh, no, I'm started. saying most recent run. Two, like two, he, he has three albums with them since coming back. Okay, so, sorry, three again. No concept of time or anything. <laughs> Been back in the band for seven years. Okay, this is why you're here, and yes. I'm just waiting. What the fuck I'm talking about? You're the fact checker. Yeah, you're the. Fact but he checker. made this album before he came back to Kill. Switch. Yes, this yes. Kind of opened the door for that. Yeah, this definitely opened the communication for them to, I think, start to entertain him coming back to Kill Switch. Now you're gonna see a theme for me. Kill Switch is on this list multiple fucking times in some <laughs> format. I'm it's sorry. It's the rest it's... of her list, ladies and gentlemen. It's it the really... rest of her list. <laughs> it really is. It re- it fucking really is but him of broken man has so many different like varieties to me of not just metal but almost from a spiritual sense there is slow slow you know tempo music but i will say lyrically it was refreshing i think at the time when it came out which was 2010 so i will say that there are a couple songs on there that it it's actually like a nice motivator. Jesse Leach is very big with PMA, which is positive mental attitude. And for some reason to me, this album really kind of embodies the beginning of me being introduced to a lot of PMA lyrics as well as it was, it was just a nice, it was nice for me to hear Jesse again, because like I said, he wasn't in the group, yada, yada, yada. So it's just to me, times of grace, check out the album. It's, it's, it's a little bit different. There is metal there, but there also is a lot of influence of there's like a little, a little bit of punk influence. There's a little bit of slow in there, but it's just, it's different, okay? It's its a little bit of a switch up. It's still metal, but it's not full-blown in your face. I'm gonna, you know, throat fuck you metal. You know what I mean? <laughs> Adam D played all the instruments. Yes, and Adam D, who's a fucking genius, did everything. So wow. it's, you should check it out. As a matter of fact, just to, to test our theories as we're trying to introduce new music to people or, you know, on this day... Great talent. You might want to take a listen. It might not be your cup of tea, but you know, maybe no, I, I know I have to get into them. I know I've been trying. They're the only band left. I think that in my, you know, on my metal, my personal metal scene that I have to get into. I've tried kill switch so many times. I don't know what it is. I can, it's just, I don't know. I'll try again. Maybe because it was a few years ago, maybe my tastes have changed now. What's times from grace. Okay. It's Times of Grace. That's times the name of, of the project. The album is The Hymn of a Broken Man. It's uh, rumored that they're going to be making another project, so another album, which I'm excited for. So it's it's there's a lot of melodic metalcore in it. So I mean, I will say that. So if it's not your forte, it might not necessarily be one you could skip it. But I do think it's nice to hear Adam D do everything because he's super fucking talented, and I love Jesse. So okay. oh, I will check it out. I'll Spotify it. Will, what about you? What is now your number five? Can't have a metal list without Motorhead. Oh, yes. Yes. Um, oh. Fairly obvious choice. I'm going Ace of Spades. It's Nice. I mean, it's kind of their biggest, most well-known album. has their most well-known song. 
you know, the opening right. bass sound to that record is iconic. It's the first thing you hear, and, and Ace of Spades kicks in and just destroys you. Um, <laughs> but Lemmy and, and Motorhead in general are very influential on my music because they just make fast, <clears throat> loud, raw, aggressive. They call it rock and roll. They, they don't consider them... Well, they didn't because they're all deceased now, unfortunately. They yeah. did not consider themselves a metal band. They consider themselves just really a straight-up rock and roll band. But Lemmy said he always identified with the punk scene more than metal. So that's kind of where the influence comes in on me. But from top to bottom, that album just just rips. So many classic songs. Love Me Like a Reptile. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> we Are the Road Crew. Uh, <laughs> Jailbait, which is exactly what it's about. <laughs> yes. Um, and one of my, maybe possibly my favorite Motorhead song, closes out the album, The Hammer. It's just so yeah. fast. And there, there's some really good live videos from like 1981 where they're doing that song. It's just, just killer. And there's actually a couple bonus tracks on the CD I have. A couple covers, Please Don't Touch and Emergency, which are just phenomenal. Um, there's a song with Girl School, an all-female band that they do, which is also one of my, you know, one of my favorite songs. I mean, what can you say about Motorhead? They're just, they're iconic. They, they changed the game. They kind of single-handedly inspired the thrash movement. You know, they right. inject the whole sense of speed and aggression into music at the time when really only metal bands going were... Judas Priest and Sabbath and Iron Maiden was kind of just kicking off the ground. But uh, yeah. a lot of the early thrash bands, Metallica especially, they all say, you know, Motorhead is what we were listening to. They injected speed into the game. So, yeah. If it wasn't for Lemmy, we wouldn't have Metallica. Pretty much. Probably, very much. Yeah, very, very true. Rest in peace, Lemmy. He is God. Yeah. yeah, seriously. I mean, now that you mention it, all of his songs and most of the songs and albums he put they put out, Motorhead, were very fast and relentless. Not a lot of songs were very long either. It was like two, three minutes tops, when he, especially back then in like the Ace of Spades days. Very, very fast and brutal. And yeah. Which is, yeah, it. which is, as I said earlier, my as I've gotten older, my attention span dwindles, so I favor the shorter songs. So Motorhead yes. has always been very high on my list. I mean, their whole discography is excellent. And let me even said he's He's grown to dislike the song Ace of Spades because that's just what everyone associated them with. He's like, well, it's not like we stopped making music after that album. We, had, <laughs> we put out so many more albums, had so many other good songs. Like, we didn't just dry up and die because of Ace of Spades. And he's right. I mean, oh. Iron Fist is, is, a, is a phenomenal album. I mean, even their stuff in the 90s. I, 1916 is great. Look, uh, Sacrifice. I loved motorizer and i love bad magic and those were like the later albums like in the 2000s and the last album yeah. was bad magic that, that bad was magic it. was their final album yeah motorizer oh. it's phenomenal aftershock so yes. many good albums in the 2000s and a couple of 90s were a little and eh, but but for the most part they never they never lost their their sound no. so yeah any anything by motorhead is number five i should say <laughs> <laughs> oh yes absolutely no let me god rest his soul uh, he gave us he gave us the heavy spe speed uh scene so yeah i i'm all for it wow i'm now i'm kind of mad because i don't I didn't put a motorhead out i feel horrible on this <laughs> list he got, he got so, you covered we're, we're covering uh, all covered. of it we cover all our bases okay that's great well Okay, so number five for me, suggested five, I should say, for me, is going to be Holy Diver, Dio. Obviously. 1983. <laughs> Obviously, because, just because. I mean, it's fucking Ronnie James Dio, okay? <laughs> Ronnie James Dio harmonizing on every single song on the album feels so organic and dynamic. 
that it has him harmonizing on some kind of fucking Freddie Mercury level from like Queen. It's honestly, he, this is probably a big, big uh, controversial opinion, but in my eyes, I like Ronnie James Dio's range and vocality more than Freddie Mercury. I know that's a big controversial thing out there, but hey, that's, that's just me. You know, wh- uh, why else do I love this album? There's instant classics on there like Holy Diver and Rainbow in the Dark are present on here. Yep. Lead guitarist Vivian Campbell's relentless solos and songs such as Stand Up and Shout, Straight Through the Heart, and Rainbow in the Dark will fucking make you want to punch a wrestling fan's son at a WWF match in the Attitude Era. So, yeah, wow. that'll happen. Wow, that was... <laughs> Jesus. Whew, okay. <laughs> and if there's anything wrong with the album, which I had a fucking dig, like, that's the song Invisible, while lyrically sound, I really didn't feel like it belonged on the album, but, I mean, that's just... If I could have to find anything wrong with the album, which really there's nothing major wrong with the album... And a few facts about the album. Singer and God himself, Ronnie James Dio, <laughs> wrote all of the songs and produced the album all by himself. Wow. The lyrics about the title track, Holy Diver, are about Revelations 12.9, which describes Satan being cast down onto the earth. <laughs> Dio stated, and I did not know this, this is really awesome. Dio stated that in the lyrics within Rainbow of the Dark were about his inability to release his true potential inspired by his time in the band Black Sabbath. Ooh, okay, so now I gotta re-listen to this. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. I was like, wow, it makes a lot of sense, though, when you, when you, when you put it into context. Yeah, that actually makes sense now that you're saying it. Okay. And the album went platinum in 1989, just six years after its initial release. I guess that's pretty impressive. Is that impressive, Will? I don't know. <laughs> Is that impressive? Uh, six years? Platinum? Yeah, 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 that's pretty good, yeah. Pretty good, all right. And why it's important to me, Holy Diver to me is the first standalone album by Ronnie James Debo on his first labeling, his solo records being done by Dio. And it's immensely important, in my opinion, because it provided the world that he was not just another voice in the crowd being overshadowed by bigger bands like Black Sabbath or even Rainbow, which he was a part of in the 70s. But it also... His presence was a reckoning to be vastly considered. And if anyone out there is don't know who this man is, just go listen to Black Sabbath, uh, Heaven and Hell, 1980. Go listen to Rainbow. Just type in Rainbow or even Elf. He was an Elf, the band called Elf in the 70s. So he is, um, and he's obviously, God rest his soul, he passed away in 2010, I think. But he is just one of my idols in the heavy metal scene. And and yeah, he's just amazing. Little man with the biggest voice. Yeah, really. Yes. He was he was a small man, wasn't he? He was short. Very tiny. Very yes. tiny. <laughs> he well. fits in your pocket. <laughs> yes. I, I was going to say, Mr. Talon, is it absolutely killing you to come up with cons? Because I can totally hear the research in this. Oh, yes. They're going to get less and less as the list goes on. Trust me. They're going to get less and less. I, I put them in order of cons and everything. So I was very, very formal with my list. Very, very strict. <laughs> I feel like you guys are so thorough. I'm li- I am the potluck of this episode. This is the no, one episode that I'm just I'm just kind of visiting and saying hi, what's up, and listen, then I'm just kind of leaving. That's okay because when <laughs> we do our next episode, which is going to be focused on Disney, you're going to be the queen of that episode, well, as see, your name implies. It's all about balance, people. I can't yes. I can't participate in everything. Absolutely. That's all right. So the next, wait, where are we at? Four. Four. Well, I believe uh, you're suggested four. What is your suggested fourth? All right, but listen, I'm pulling them out of a hat. Let's see. Hold on. Let me see. All right, we're going to go with... So yes. we're going to go with Slipknot. Slipknot's well, self, self... What would you call it? Self, self-titled album, self-titled. essentially? Yeah, self-titled album. Slipknot. Slipknot, Slipknot. Wow, okay. 
It was released in 1999. We're gonna go back into into time a little bit when I used to wear those Jenko fucking pants, those UFO <laughs> fucking pants, and I went to Hot Topic when Hot Topic was you know like an actual alternative store. And I remember when I had my lunch money saved up and I looked at a shirt that was black with this red and white font it said Slipknot I was like I want that I bought it I terrified my mom I went home and I also had purchased the album and it was the game changer so it was like I remember the mall picking up the shirt (laughs) the CD (laughs) and just going into this weird soundtrack of what it was like to be at that time I guess like a metal new metal kid at at the moment this album obviously introduced us to the band of fucking demented people in weird masks, which I was fascinated, obviously, because I have some weird Bane fetish, but that's another story. <laughs> um, but I just remember the first time I heard Wait and Bleed, which is their, I guess, the introduction song to their career. Wait and Bleed, I remember it used to be on MTV late at night. It only used to play after 1 a.m., And I remember seeing these guys in these fucking red jumpsuits and just remember being like, oh, my God, this is so this is how I feel. I'm like fucking 12. I'm like, this is is how I feel inside. (laughs) This defines me. (laughs) Exactly. But it was different. It was in your face. And I definitely was going through some fucking phase of fuck you, mom. (laughs) Wait and Bleed, which is one of my favorite songs from them. As a matter of fact, it's and by the way, it's a fast fucking song. It's not a slow song. I got to see them live for the first time a couple years ago will and i went to see them and i think i was the only adult woman that as they performed that song i was crying which is a very weird effect for a song <laughs> that's basically not meant for tears but right no i i remember i think i know what song you're talking about yeah yeah no <laughs> that would have been fucking it hilarious was just amazing it was like it was years and years of this fucking built up love for them I, I loved it. I love the song Spit It Out. Again, all the songs are oh, just yeah. in your face, all over the fucking place. Uh, to me, there was a lot of experimental, because at this point, I'm like 12 years old. So at this point, I think I went through teeny boppers and lots of processed fucking meat of of sound. And then here comes this fucking, these weird drums, these weird just noises introduced to music that in this hard fucking in-your-face setting. And... I just loved it. I love Slipknot. They were fucking, they were, they were to me at the time, they were like scary. But like I said, they musically, I was just totally fucking sold on them. I, I don't know what it is. This, this album introduced me this. I will say this album is probably one of the starting points for me listening to a form of metal. Now I know people are going to start giving me shit. Like, Listen, this is, this is my journey. My journey started with fucking hot topic. I ain't going to lie. We're going to own this shit. Exactly. That's what, Hey, you got to be real. You got to keep, that's what we do folks. We keep it real. Okay. We're going to keep it real for you. It could have been worse. It could have started with fucking insane clown posse. I mean, this could have gone a lot worse. Listen, okay. I know this is like a, now we're doing national metal week, but I'll, I'll put it on the line right now. You're saying you're coming. You're, I, we appreciate you coming out and saying, look, I'm a hot I was a hot topic girl. And guess what? I was an Eminem boy when I was growing up. I listened to Eminem. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to front. I listened to Eminem. I listened to 50 cent. And why am I saying this? I don't know because yeah, I'm just coming out. Will's probably like, I can't talk to you anymore. We're, we're no longer cool. <laughs> well, no, it's like we'll listen to Wu-Tang, but now we're getting off the... <laughs> no, no, we are off the road. But listen, uh, you mentioned you saw Slipknot Live getting back on track. How is their stage show? Do they put on a good stage show? Oh, my God. It was because it, it's theatrical, essentially, because you have mm. just... Uh, how many people are in that fucking group? I nine. mean, there's nine... Nine? People- 
Yeah. Like, hey, I thought it was like six. Really nice. No, it's not. And it is just fucking... It, it's one of those bands that you have to see perform live. I feel like there's certain there's certain musical groups that you have to see like see live. Alice Cooper is one of them theatrically. Yes. I think Guar is something you should probably see once in your lifetime. Slipknot to me is one of those bands that just they put on a great show because there's so much shit going on, but musically they're not far off from the production for a band that's I think specifically this album was very massively I would just tell me if I'm wrong musically i would i would guess there was a lot of work done in studio like f- to perfect that type of sound i would say yeah so i'm yeah, you'd have to and seeing it live and it being as close to humanly possible was pretty fucking amazing but again this is just like my my 12 year old self going like back in time and going you know this album was like the shit for me it was, it it was so just, good it like, was you don't even so, know it was so good and i loved it and then yeah, I don't know. It's just it just it br- it brings me back to the introduction to new metal. I feel like this was this corn. I'm taking it there, Limp Bizkit. I'm sorry. There were bands that unfortunately kind of opened opened the door for people like me who didn't necessarily grow up with like what you guys listen to, which is you guys grew up with, you know, heavy metal influences. I this was my introduction. So this that's. Um, again, I'm owning it. It's fine. Oh, that's exactly it. Like, like, hey, I was a late bloomer to metal too. I didn't start until I was about like in like second year of high school. Was that considered sophomore? Yeah. 15. Yeah. I started 15. So I was a late bloomer too. Very late, but no, I, I'm mentioning Slipknot. I love my two favorite albums of Slipknot are volume three and all hope is gone. I like those two albums a lot. Yeah, that's and, that's and true story before I bring it over to Will, when I walked down the aisle at my wedding, I had to have a Slipknot song, and it was Vermilion Part uh, Two. Yeah, and I mean, so so technically, we could say we played Slipknot at our wedding, and it makes me sound so much cooler than what it really is, though. <laughs> <laughs> then again, we had Lamb of God too, which is pretty. We did come out. To we Lamb did come out to Lamb of God as our introduction. That's true, but uh, anyway, I, I I digress. So, Will, it's by a band called In Flames, and the album is called Colony. Okay. For those who are unfamiliar with this band, they are a Swedish melodic death metal band. Ooh. The first I ever heard from the genre. Um, I heard this album when it shortly after it came out. It was released in 99. I probably heard it a year or two later. It's basically like Iron Maiden musically with death growls for vocals. Oh, wow. Uh, that's hence the term melodic death metal. Um, Interesting. Yeah, they're a very interesting band. They got me on the whole melodic death metal kick. You know, harmonized guitars, somewhat upbeat arrangements, but with growled vocals. This album in particular, I think their songwriting really hit its peak. It was their third or I believe, actually fourth album, I believe, at the time. To me, it's just a masterpiece. From top to bottom, It's every note is perfection. Just everything about it is just, I don't know, I don't know. It's, it's almost indescribable. It's just that album just, just moved me when it came out. And to me, that was their pinnacle. After that, they've dropped. They dropped a little bit in years after that. In recent days, to me, the band is completely unlistenable. They don't even sound like their former selves. Not which, at which all. Is very unfortunate because it's a band I once considered one of my absolute favorites. But I can't even go see them live anymore because they don't do. They really don't even do any songs prior to 2000. Is that true? Oh wow! Yeah, and and then yeah, they, I saw them make a post online like years ago. And they said, well, you all complain that we don't play the old stuff from like Colony or Pryor. 
But then when we do play a song, you guys in the crowd don't know it and you don't react because you got popular off of garbage, poppier songs. So mm. this younger generation, uh, all the stuff you were doing 25 years ago, they don't know that you were actually a heavy, legitimate band. Right. right. They're kind of caught in that right now. And yeah, to me, they're not the same band. But that album is an absolute masterpiece. Wow. What and are this some is... songs from that album? Yeah, yeah. The first song... It just hits you. There's a, a drum intro, a pick slide. It's called Embody the Invisible. It was actually in a Tony Hawk game. Um, oh, wow. Huh. Which, yeah, blew me away. when I, it was, I think this is the first song I heard in Tony Hawk's, I believe it was Underground. Because I already Ooh. knew the band. I knew the song. And to just start like skating and, and going up ramps and hear that song kick in, I was like, holy shit. This is <laughs> that Inflames is in this game right now. Wow. A um, couple other songs to tra- check out. Probably my favorite Inflames song is track two. It's called Ordinary Story. Um, there's a uh, song called Zombie Incorporated. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just the songwriting is tight. The, the They're fast. The album topics are a little bit about religion and society, a little bit of spirituality on it. Some of the lyrics are a little hard to decipher because they are Swedish, so I don't believe English is their native language. So some <laughs> of it's kind of weird. There's some weird word choices in there, but sonically it's just, ugh. For me, it's a masterpiece. They're Swedish and they're growling, so it'll be a little bit hard to understand. <laughs> a smidge. Yeah. And this came out when, 1990? Uh, 1999. 99. Ah, oh, wow. Okay. Pretty confident that it was their fourth album. Okay, cool. My suggested fourth would be Paranoid, Black Sabbath, 1970. It was only a matter of time for somebody threw it in there. Yeah, you can't leave it out. I mean, I know I left out Motorhead, shame on me, but I'll, I'll, I'll bring it back with Sabbath. Sabbath, Paranoid. So yeah, yeah, instant catchy classics on here like War Pigs, you know, uh, Iron Man. Who can forget that? You know, all you people out there listening who watched the Iron Man movie in 2008 would know what this is from if you don't know the band. Paranoid are all on the same album. The final two minutes of War Pigs, which puts you into a fucking spiritual, metalistic like trance, where lead guitarist and sorcerer Tony Iommi just takes you on a spiritual journey through unforgettable, rhythmic-like riffs, leading into a beautiful fucking climax and solo at the end of the song. Was it good love, baby? Oh yes, good love. That's good love, baby. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> The lyrics to War Pigs in regards to politicians and puppet masters pulling the strings, deciding and waging war and while fucking hiding in the background behind their desks like the cowards they are, are phenomenal and can still be considered relevant in this day and age. The band is a four-piece, meaning, excuse me, lead guitarist Tony Iommi is was responsible for also rhythm and solos and still impresses the fuck out of me to date. Seeing both sides of the coin, he can actually do both things, rhythm and like solos, and pull them off damn near flawlessly, especially on this album. And bassist Geezer's Butler's haunting bass chords and Hand of Doom, the Hand of Doom song, still chill me to the bone to this day. Nice. And if I can find anything wrong with this album, uh, the instrumental Rat Salad, it just honestly sounds like they're just fucking around in a garage. I don't know why it's on the, the I guess, because, and there's a fact here that it kind of draws into later on, this uh, the song Rat Salad. And in the actual one, they were doing their hour, like, fucking ridiculously long tours in europe in 1970 the massive sets were so long that drummer bill ward would spend over 45 minutes of that time on a particular one drum solo which prompted that song rat salad on the album so that's why they incorporated it on the album and also the band started working on paranoid just four months after their self-titled album black sabbath paranoid is to date the band's best-selling album selling over four million copies worldwide 
The original title of the album was going to be War Pigs, but due to the recent Vietnam War, they feared that backlash from war supporters, so they changed the name to Paranoid, while also feeling that the single would also sell better somehow. However, the album art still dictates and shows War Pigs on the cover, which was never changed. Hmm. And War Pigs, the song itself, was originally called Walpurgis. Walpurgis. (laughs) Which is the satanic version of Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we should celebrate that <laughs> yes we should because geezer butler thought war was like satan since it's all evil and shit and the album is very important to me because it's just hey it's black sabbath okay they're considered to be the grandfather of heavy metal and in general and their paranoid albums immense popularity i mean in general mainstreamed the to the the genre to the masses causing a plethora of bands to come out of the woodwork to offer their own unique twists and spins onto this this scene, this universe. Yeah, I think it was definitely an important album for, I think, any form of genre of rock metal, any, anything in the format in yeah. general. Yep, they were one of the masters, so absolutely. Probably going to hear something from them later on this list. Yay! Fun! <laughs> Premonitions! Foreshadowing! Yay! <laughs> All right, so now we're on our suggested number three. So Halloween Queen, take it away. I think it's your turn. All right, we're we're moving, and I'll try to sum this up since I have no notes. Big surprise, uh, Kill Switch engages alive or just breathing. (laughs) All right, yeah. Another Kill Switch. Come in. (laughs) This album came out in 2002. So at this moment, I'm trying, again, I'm trying to relate it back to me. It's the only way I can fucking, this is why I'm suggesting it. It was my introduction to Kill Switch Engage. Now, there was an album before this, if I'm not mistaken, for Kill Switch. They had a self-titled debut that not a lot of people know. Right. A lot of people think this is their first record, Yeah. So, it's not. So for me, this is, thank you, fucking fact checker. <laughs> you might hear more about this album later also. <laughs> alert. So yeah, so for me, this was my introduction to Kill Switch, and I have to kind of give O to it because it is one of my favorite metal bands specifically just in, in life and in, in that genre. So for me, the first introduction to kill switch was listening to the song, my last serenade, which was probably the fucking most influential song for me at that moment in time. Uh, to kind of, again, this, this band actually really opened up the, the eyes of like my little metal self around that time early 2000s definitely was probably the best time for me to get into more than just new metal so i think i kind of progressed from that and kill switch and the bands that they toured with and their and their friends the other groups that they would hang with definitely started to kind of make the rounds on on my on my ipod when that was a thing and this album in particular is some of the best fucking songs to me in their career again my last serenade which till this day when they fucking play it i I cannot help but get super fucking emotional because it's one of those ones when you're when you're introduced to just magic you know and you hear it you just get a tingly in your pants it's just <laughs> it's an automatic the one of the other songs which i love to death is the element of one which for some time i used to consider it our song actually yeah. it just it's fucking a great fixation on the darkness just barely breathing life to lifeless these are all songs that Great talent for the love of God, fucking like them. <laughs> I listened. Uh, now that you mentioned Alive or Just Breathing, I have. That is the one Kill Switch album I actually listened to half of it, and I was fine with it. I got to go back to it. I got to go re-listen to the other half. It's it's just it's it's a great metal album. I I don't have the notes like you guys do. It's just like hi, I like this. This sounds good in my earlobes. So. <laughs> 
That's I like this song. I like this song. But I, I have to I have to suggest this to anyone who might not have listened to it because this is how I was introduced to them. Therefore, it's on my list is something I think that needs to be checked out because it was an introduction to me to a wider genre of metal. So that's why you should check it out. That's all you need to know. That's all you need. Those are the facts, people. Hard, cold, stone cold facts. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you. All right. Number three, Metallica and Justice for All. Nice. All right. Okay. Super tough decision. Part of me wanted to do Saint Anger, but <laughs> I'm gonna do it. I do love that album, but that's that's a debate for another day. It was honestly a toss up between Injustice for All and Ride the Lightning. Yeah. But, uh, I can understand that. Ride the Lightning is very tough to... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But Injustice for All was the first Metallica album I bought that wasn't Reload. So I bought Reload because that was the first album I bought, but it was in the early 2000s, and I didn't really know the history of the band at the time, that their, their sound in the 90s went kind of eh. So yeah. I didn't really know that that wasn't the good Metallica, and then I would later discover that was to be true. So Injustice for All was the first album I bought from their classic era, as as people say. Um, But yeah, and I'm usually not a fan of longer songs, progressive songs. That's really not my thing. This album changes that because even though some of the songs are seven, eight, nine minutes, it doesn't feel like it. Like your interest just stays hooked into what they're doing. There's so many twists and turns in all their songs. I mean, the title track, Injustice for All, the song Eye of the Beholder, Great oh. ends of sanity. I mean, I'm oh. learning that on guitar. There's so many rhythmic oh. twists and turns and timing things. It's absolutely insane that anyone could write like that. So to me, that is Metallica at their peak. Their songwriting was top notch. Their technical ability was mind blowing. Lars is phenomenal on that album. I'm sorry, oh. drummers. <laughs> he is no, an absolute wizard on the drums on that album. Don't know what happened to him live nowadays, but you know well, that's the, another story for another the day. The rumor is they had a they had a cut and paste a lot of his drum parts together. I mean, this is before computers were making albums, so right. they literally had to like record his drums on tape and like piece them together so they wouldn't sound sloppy or disjointed. I, I believe it. I mean, it, it's it's complicated stuff, right? And I, I know the album gets a lot of hate because there's no bass on the album, and that that is a problem. Again, this goes back to the production they were talking about on Death Magnetic. They kept James and Lars kept lowering the bass because Jason's bass frequencies were clashing with James's rhythm guitar sound. And, you know, you can't overshadow the boss, so we're going to pull down the new kid's bass tracks. Obviously. Of course. Which, of course. But, and it's a little unfortunate that they released a remaster of the album uh, earlier this year and they decided not to change the bass because they said that's way the album sounded at that point in time so you know it is what it is it's a place in history and we're just we're not going to change it Uh, but if if you do go on youtube you can look up and justice for jason there are many (laughs) there are many many fan-made mixes out there where they've somehow gotten hold of jason's bass tracks i think either from guitar hero games or from some tracks out there and they're able to pull them up and and mix them properly so you could hear how, the, how it would have sounded. And I'll tell you, when Blackened kicks in with that riff and you hear, uh. the, you actually hear the bass, wow. Oh, man, it's, it makes me want to go. It's shattering. I want to go search for that right now. <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> there are many, there, there's a ton of different mixes, but there, there's a couple on there. I think they're called Injustice for Jason, and 
oof, some some of the bass tracks are just absolutely mind blowing. It's phenomenal work. Oh, that's amazing. I'm still still waiting on the Metallica's remaster of Saint Anger though, with the drumming that doesn't sound like trash can. Well, they, that's while they were on the topic of Injustice for All, they actually did mention Saint Anger, and they said just like how Saint Anger has that horrible snare drum sound. We probably wouldn't change that if we ever get to remastering it. Well, because of course they wouldn't. Of course they wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. It represents the time that it was recorded in the era that was going on in their yeah. lives. And James getting stuff. sober, hating Lars, yeah. hating life, just making a raw, angry album. Yeah, I, I get it. Uh, yeah, no, it makes sense. You don't want to change history in that sense, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. No, it's a great fucking choice. And let me just go on record for saying, if you are learning how to play Freight Ends of Sanity right now, uh, Halloween Queen, you're going to have competition. <laughs> just what? saying, because I'm going to come over and I'm going to start cooking for Will and I'm gonna, while he serenades me. <laughs> it's been years since I've played it. I remember it taking a very long time to just remember all the timing changes and, and the twists and turns it takes. It's going to take me quite a while to get back to it. Uh, yeah, no, that's the one song that they always cock tease during their live performances, Metallica, and they never uh, fall follow through with, unfortunately. <laughs> but I, I think I once know. they played it, I don't know. I don't know what you're gonna do if they ever see it through. I really don't want to be in the room with they you if did, it happens. They did once, <laughs> once or twice recently. Once. I mean, yeah. was I in the room? Were we in the room with him when if that happened? Because his no. pants are gonna come off, things are gonna fly. No, no one's think, gonna be I, safe. I think Will showed it to me once, uh, texted it to me, the link or whatever, or posted it onto my wall, and I watched it. And I was like, "This can't be real. It's, I must be being punked. Something's going on here." And I listened to it. I'm like, "Wow, they really <laughs> fucking played it. They're not. They're not just doing the intro. They're really fucking doing it." And I was amazed. I was really amazed. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. So, All right, now your turn. My suggested number three, and now my three. Now, now that we're getting into the nitty gritty, we're getting into our, our the last three uh, for each of us. It was very, very hard to pick these top three. I mean, it's harder than the other the others in this list. And somehow, some way, number three, my suggested number three, folks, for National Metal Day is going to be Cowboys from Hell, Pantera, nineteen ninety. Yes, to me. Uh, there really is no fault to this album. I mean, there is no other Pantera album to me, in my opinion, that sounds like this one. I mean, after after Cowboys from Hell, you they 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 did the most uh, album, to, in my opinion, I think that that really skyrocketed them to fame and fortune was the one after this album, Vulgar Display of Power. That's when people were probably really like, hey, these guys are fucking crazy. These guys are great. And I think Vulgar Display of Power did sell more than Cowboys from Hell did, but before. They did Cowboys from Hell. They were like glam metal in the 1980s. And if you guys don't know what glam metal is, for those people out there who don't, it's like this where they just they had this fucking this hair, this big gigantic hair, like that's the size of fucking the Empire State Building, all like fucking ridiculous. And they wore like this these lip gloss or whatever the fuck they wear, makeup and shit. And it just looks so weird and bizarre. Okay, Grandpa. <laughs> and they, they just started playing. And, but the sound was great. I mean, I love their power metal album from 1988. That was really, really good. But anyway, why I love this album is because they have in this album and most of the songs, there's just such hypnotizing riffs and bone crushing solos from start to finish from the late, great Dimebag Darrell as lead guitarist, the intentional pops of those snare drums and the fucking onslaught of all of those, the drumming sections in all the songs um, from the late Benny Pauls, uh, the Banshee-like screams for fucking singer Phil Anselmo and Cemetery Gate song especially, and of course, Shattered! Who can forget that? Um, 
the song Cemetery Gates, though, can literally, in my opinion, be played anytime, anyplace. And it damn what a better will be played at my fucking funeral so I can rise from the graves and grave and fucking thrash in the afterlife. Um, <laughs> Noted. I'll let your wife know. <laughs> yes, please do. I mean, yeah. Uh, and a few facts about this album. Uh, right before the album was forged, lead and late guitarist Dimebag Darrell almost actually joined Megadeth instead of Pantera. But the deal breaker for him what, which migrated him to Pantera was it allowed Pantera allowed his brother and drummer, late Benny Paul, to join the band. Pantera then said, yay, while Megadeth said nay. Megadeth wanted to stick with uh, Nick Menza as the drum, drummer at the time. They didn't want to give up their drummer. And during the Cowboys from Hell live tour in 1991, frontman for Judas Priest, Rob Halford, joined the band on stage during a Toronto performance where they jammed to one of the Judas Priest songs. And afterwards, Rob Halford asked Pantera if they would like to open for them in Europe, which is partially what caused them to skyrocket into fame and success overseas abroad. And the Cemetery Gate song appears in the Tales from the Crypt movie, Demon Knight, in 1995. And also, it's important to me, like I said before, Cowboys from Hell, it's not only the pivotal album where Pantera broke free from the glam metal chains that bound them, but also is still considered to be the album that people look back to and go, wow, this, you know, this is the definitive rendition where legends were forged and no song was left underperformed. Wow, that, that was poetic. That was good. No, sorry, I just had. I mean, to <laughs> me, I know that other albums of theirs, like Vulgar Display of Power, Far Beyond Driven, you know, even uh, Reinventing the Steel, you know, even those, you know, were more like mainstreamed. But this one to me is just Phil Ensemble, and Will, you can correct me if I'm wrong. He never sounded like he did on this album and the other albums. Like he wasn't fucking wailing and screaming like he fucking was here. He probably damaged his voice like Tom Mariah did, right? I don't know if he damaged his voice. I know he said. To hit those notes at the end of Cemetery Gates, he drank like an entire bottle of wine right before his takes. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, yeah, he never did those vocals again. He, I mean, he sang on that song Hollow, which I walked out to at my wedding, mm-hmm. uh, which oh. was on Bogus Play of Power. Um, I think that was probably the last time he really used his clean vocals. Minus they, they did a cover of Paranoid on um, Far Beyond Driven as well. Oh. But after that, it was pretty much more like the intense tough guy shouting, as I call it. Right, right. Um, not sure why. I don't know if he just couldn't do it anymore. He's still pretty young at the time, or they were just he just didn't want to incorporate it into Pantera's music anymore. Maybe because they were going aggressive and getting further and further from the the '80s sound. Yeah, no, I sure. I just really love that album, and I can listen to that. And it's a very like you know, it's it's a very fast and intense album. There's very you know, Cemetery Gates even starts off slow, but it picks up and it gets really intense toward the end. And you mm. even have that section, as you know, uh, at where fucking Phil is just like trying to battle Dimebag with the fucking like that the, with the chords and the fucking guitar <laughs> and the solo, and tries to see who goes higher, who can hit the yeah. higher note. It's just ridiculous. You just don't get that again. That's why I think that album is really special. So, yeah, agreed. My favorite Pantera record as well. Oh, nice! Yay. Not on my top six list, but it is definitely my favorite Pantera album. With Power Metal, a close second. A lot of people will disagree on that, but no, Power Metal is awesome. I love Power Metal. I would honestly, I'm with you there. Power Metal just came out of nowhere. I uh, I think you were the one who showed me that, and I'm just like, yes. wow, really? I was like, yeah. holy shit. Yeah, was really- kind of like Judas Priest, Pantera mashed up a little bit. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah. What are we on? Number two now. We're getting down to the nitty gritty, people. So here we go. Number two. And again, this is probably going to be one of those. Why is this on your fucking roster? Go away. You don't belong here. But I'm here. So 
my number two suggestion which I think is another, again, I think I, I, I'm really big into the introduction stuff of metal, I guess, so to speak. System of a Down's Toxicity album. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, hey. which was released in 2001. I always kind of associated around the time of like 9-11, so I feel like it's on mm. par that that's when it was. Right. So System of a Down kind of introduced what would kind of be some little subtle hint to my interest as an adult. I've realized a lot of their music was really based off of it wasn't really hidden political. It was pretty in-your-face political agenda or just narrative. However, I didn't realize of how... You, you know, when you're younger and you're listening to this shit, you're not realizing the political climate or how the world really is. But now as an adult, when you listen to it, you're like, fuck, man, Surge was on to something. The the songs on here... Well, by the way, just to kind of give you a context, the, this album had probably their biggest hits in terms of their career. Chop Suey is probably the, the big one that everyone knows. Um... I, I hope you know it. I, hope, I, I might have to play it for you later. That, Aerials, which is a fantastic song. And then there's an array of different other songs. Prison Song, Needles, Deer Dance. I will say that most of the songs, like I mentioned, they touch on a couple of different things. So, for example, let's think. Hold on. Again, we're freeballing. Hold on. Okay, so the song Bounce is about group sex. That's always fun. Uh, <laughs> the song Psycho is about groupies. I never knew if I said that. Is it is it ATWA or is it ATWA? I never knew. I think it's ATWA. ATWA. It's about Charles Manson's beliefs on the environment. Who doesn't love Charles Manson's beliefs on anything? <laughs> so yeah, and uh, and prison song was about uh, mass incarceration, which to this day is something from a political standpoint that I actually feel very strongly about so i didn't realize that i was listening to beliefs and things that didn't stick then that to me really stick now so for example system of a downs vocalist he had said that it's about the unfairness of mandatory minimum sentences and how they're about two million americans in jail and a lot of them are in there for marijuana possessions and things of that sort instead of rehabilitating men who have drug problems they're throwing them in prison and that's not solving anything so i will say that back then i didn't realize that that would carry over into what i think is a problem today not to go off on a tangent but prison song really did actually educate me and it's a problem that i didn't know existed so I will say that this kind of introduced me to not from from a musical standpoint. There was a lot of, I would say there's prog rock in it. They they're, they're what country are they from? Because I know that there's. They, I was gonna say there is definitely Middle Eastern influence. There's you know uh, the hard rock, new metal. They introduced different instruments into this particular album. This album to me was their, I don't know, their flagship to their career because it kind of went fucking downhill after this. I remember there was the yeah. one album. They got a little poppy. There's... They had steal this album after this, which was like B-sides and unreleased songs from this album. So that one was still good. But, yeah, but after that. But there was like yeah. one that was like, everybody's going no, to the, the party. Yeah. So point being this song, this song, this, this album is probably to me, one of my, for myself, one of the most influential. It was actually the first technical metal band that i seen live too which again this is why it's holding a, a higher threshold i actually had studied the album lyrically for an entire week because i was going to see them in long island uh jones beach theater whatever the fuck that is over there and i studied this because i wanted to like know all the fucking lyrics and i will say that for this being my first show was probably i don't know it wasn't necessarily the most 
entertaining but at the same time it was like the best introduction to see like what a metal setting was and mm-hmm. i just remember being surrounded by mostly mostly older people because i don't think a lot of people when the, when i seen them were really into system of a down it was a lot of a lot of dads with beer bellies but that's another story <laughs> but oh. song wise i it's just i i love these fucking songs again it's another thing that takes me back in time and lyrically probably some of the best most simplistic lyrics that while people were making songs that were about, you know, emotion and shit like that, this was really in-your-face facts about America's political climate, which today, if you listen to this this album now, you would think it was written last week. Wow. So this is an album to me that just kind of, it, it's un, until we change our behaviors as a country, sorry, non-political, this is going to be an album that's going to make sense to me every single time I listen to it. Nice. So what you're saying is it's a timeless album in, in regards to its lyricism. Its lyricism is pretty much timeless in this sense because of this climate that we're still mm-hmm. engaging in in this day and age. Wow, yeah. that's, that's fucking deep, man. That's deep, Very- yo. <laughs> Very, I mean, and like I said, and if you listen to again, the the music is quirky. If you're if you're used to a certain genre of music, this is definitely something that it's gonna. You're mixing a bunch of shit that you might not be used to. And right. for myself, I definitely wasn't used to, but. I think the pop hits off that, meaning that the mainstream hit, which is Chop Suey. Everyone, if I play the song, you know Chop Suey. It's just one of those fucking songs that everyone knows. And that song obviously introduced me to buy the album. And this album I know fucking through and through. And listening to it, like I said, lyrically, it will completely, I think if you listen to it as an adult, you'll, you will completely be like, yo, Homeboy was onto something. And this was like fucking 18 years ago. Yeah, I remember that song Chop Suey from Guitar Hero or Rock Band. It was in yes. one of the music sims, but yeah, no, I I really was not a, never really a big fan of System of a Down, but I might have to give another shot if you're saying it's that hits close to home lyr- lyrically wise. I, I think I think this particular album, and just for the record, just because I'm I'm again last minute facts, Chop Suey was apparently nominated for best metal performance for um at the Grammys in 2002 because you mm-hmm. know. Right. You know, the Grammys obviously love metal and of any form. Well, hey, it was very political, like you said. So politics yeah. and award shows go hand in hand. That's why Oscars are very... <laughs> and the Oscars aren't political. Fuck off. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Masterpiece, I will say. The, the vocal harmonies at the end of that song still get me. Yeah, no, it is, a, it is a good song. I remember playing it, you know, on the rock band or guitar here, and I was like, wow, this is, it was all over the place. But yeah, vocally, it was very, uh, very impressive. Fun fact Scott Ian actually considers Toxicity a thrash album. Really? really? Yeah. On the oh, thrash shit. documentary, they, they start touching on new metal and how it was garbage and people were turning away from thrash metal. He says, no, listen to Toxicity. They, they were basically a, a thrash band, like on their first two records. And whether you agree or not, you know, it is what it is. I, I kind of hear what he's getting at. It's a very punk rock album, which is influential to thrash. It does have a lot of fast stuff on the album. I, I don't know if I'd call it a thrash metal album, but I, I hear the influence in there. So take that for what it's worth. So this means that I'm validated in my choice? Scotty Ian validates. Okay. He that album <laughs> right. a masterpiece. And it, You're it is. validated by the, the guitars from Anthrax. Yes, yeah. you are. Okay, so, so we're good. All right. Yep. I'm covered. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Very good. All right. What about you? Well, we've heard this one already. Uh, it's Alive or Just Breathing from Kill Switch Engage. Oh, no. <laughs> Duplicates. All right. That, that uh, just means, people, you have to go listen to these albums now. That's what it means. Twice. You have to listen to twice. Yeah. Twice, yes. <laughs> Absolute game changer for me. Uh, at the time, this album came out in 2002. I was not listening to metal anymore. 
um, I had started listening to it around 10 years old. And then new metal started happening in the late 90s, early 2000s. Everyone was big on corn and disturbed and god awful Limp Biscuit. Shut well, up. I mean, <laughs> you know, some of those bands are okay. I like corn. Um, disturbed is good. I just, I just didn't like where metal was going at the time. So I stopped listening to it. I was pretty much only listening to punk rock. And then uh, my friend in junior year of high school, we were in algebra or cal- actually calculus class. And he says, you need to check out this band later. He goes, they're an up-and-coming metal band. <clears throat> he goes, well, actually, it's considered metal core. And I was like, all right, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> he says, well, basically, it's they take, you know, heavy, you know, typical metal riffs and combine it with, like, the aggression and the chugs of hardcore. Um, and it's very melodic. There's, you know, a lot of the verses are screamed and the, and the choruses are very catchy with singing. He goes, look up this, this band, Kill Switch Engage. So I go home and I check it out. I, I think I downloaded Fixation of the Darkness, Self-Revolution, and one other song that I can't remember. And I was just absolutely floored that I didn't know bands like this still existed. It just the heaviness of it, the melodic choruses, Jesse Leach's vocals were just flooring for me. They're off the charts, I never heard anything like it at the time. And the fact that the music was so heavy and it sounded so intense and angry, but the lyrics were very positive. Killswitch Engage does not really have any negativity in their music. Positivity is a big thing with Jesse Leach, and that's definitely changed my outlook outlook on a lot of songs and bands. So it's yeah, it's just it's something I just never heard at the time, and it kind of reinvigorated my love of metal. I wound up checking out all the bands in the metalcore scene, getting into so many great bands from that era, like Shadows Fall, Unearth, Lamb of God. Um, I'm not going to speak about the songs in general because. Halloween Queen already did that. Um, so I'm just going to, you know, kind of rattle off my experience with the record. Um, but still to this day, it just, it holds up. Production value is is flawless. Adam D, the mastermind of Killswitch, played drums on that album. Uh, and then shortly after that, switched to the second guitar player. Uh, he also produced the album. I mean, the guy can't can't do any wrong. So, uh, yeah, that album will, will forever be one of my absolute favorites of all time. I still listen to it to this day from start to finish. Not a bad song, not a bad moment on the entire album. Wow. Holy shit. You have to listen to it. This just means that the great talent, folks, you heard it here first, has to get his ass to Spotify and listen to <laughs> A Lot of Just Breathing by Killswitch Engage and get his ass into gear. Wow. Yeah. Two times that was listed. Wow. All right. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Okay. Your turn. Well, if you guys didn't see this coming already, you can already tell where this list is going to go from here on in. With number two being Pain! Pain! Killer! Painkiller. Judith Priest, 1990. Power, speed metal. Okay, sorry. Anyway, so... <laughs> In case you haven't guessed, uh, lead singer Rob Halford's banshee-like fucking falsetto screams and wails. 90% of the songs on that fucking album, no, 100% of the songs on the album are just ridiculous, in-your-face, awe-inspiring. How he doesn't miss a note is beyond me. It's just ridiculous. Lead guitarist uh, K.K. Downing and Glenn Tipton tag-teaming and running the fucking train on those guitar solos on the songs such as Painkiller, Hell Patrol, one shot at glory, metal meltdown, just mm. fucking back and forth, just beating the shit out of those guitars. It's ridiculous. Uh, the opening drum solo, even by Scott Travis in the title track, Painkiller, absolutely fucking brutal. Uh, memorable guitar riffs, such songs as Between the Hammer and the Animal, Anvil, uh, Leather Rebel, Painkiller, and Nightcrawler. 
Uh, they have the, then you have the slow churning lyrics from uh, songs like A Touch of Evil that run and penetrate deep. And then, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'll say it. And in contrast, the fa- the fast paced, high octane, one shot at glory's lyrics inspires you to achieve all kinds of fucking victories out there. It's insane. And but, however, on the flip side, on the other side of the coin, this album does something unspeakable, and that is come to a conclusion, which it it actually does. It ends, and it makes me very sad because it ends. <laughs> Jesus. And a, a few facts about this album. Despite being the album being finished in March of 1990, the album's final release was delayed due to a subliminal message civil lawsuit against the band, which took place in July of 1990, which involved the band's music being accused of two people who were attempted suicide in Reno back in 1985, but the case ended up being dismissed in August of 1990. And in turn, Painkiller was released in September 1990, half a year six months after the album was initially completed recording and ready to release. I actually remember that. And some, I think it was the behind the music. I remember, I didn't even know that was a fact until. Yeah. I had no idea myself. Yeah. That's, it's interesting. I didn't realize that whole thing delayed the whole uh, production and you know, everything. Uh, Also initial lead singer, Rob Halford on, uh, he was been with the band since the start in 1974. He left the band in 92 to pursue going solo to form a band called Halford on his own and did not return to the band until Angel Rep- Retribution album, which was released, I think it was in 2004, 2005, which was 12 or 13 years later. And during the post-Rob Halford years, the band released two albums, Jugulator and Demolition, which uh, the, uh, the lead singer Tim, the Ripper Owens from the band Iced Earth, taking uh, the, leading the vocal helm. And also, this was the first album that featured Scott Travis as a drummer who replaced Dave Holland in 1989. And Scott Travis is still the current drummer of Judas Priest, if I'm not mistaken. And the album went gold just two months after it's released and reached number 26 on Billboard just four months after, four months later. So to date, Painkiller has sold over 2 million copies worldwide. And true and, fact, uh, 1 million of those copies came from Great Talon, but that's all right. They're, they're in a fucking shed right now. They're just <laughs> taking up all the goddamn space, fucking, he- fucking pushing that, the Christmas tree, hemorrhaging up against the wall, the poor thing. <laughs> but anyway, and it's important to me because, honestly, Painkiller, I not only have I listened to this album, I've ran into the fucking ground by now. I have You've, You people have heard me sing on Rock Band this song like to the point where I couldn't have, have a fucking voice the next day. When I've seen the, this, this band live, anytime this song comes on, you know, any, any song from this album comes on, I'm just fucking wailing and screaming, trying to replicate Rob Halford in the, any way that I can. But it was also considered to be Judas Priest's fastest paced album to date and was important at the time because it was it was honestly, to me, it was seen as a send-off album for Rob Halford because, you know, he, if, they didn't know if he was going to come back or not at the time. So this was an album that went out with a bang. And also it was considered a revitalization album for the band because... Honestly, after their last two albums, I mean, which I enjoy all their fucking albums, doesn't matter what they do, but their last two albums prior to Painkiller were, you had um, Turbo, you had Ram It Down in 1988 and then Turbo in 1986, both were, have received such polarizing receptions by the public, but you know, Priest had one of two choices. They could either prove to everyone that they were the, still the leaders of the industry or they were just another fucking love the voice in the crowd. And honestly, they proved that they were still the masters of their craft with painkiller and it just fucking blew everyone away in the long run. So there you have it. Nice. It, I think it's just cause we know you. I just, I knew it was coming. I just didn't know. When. <laughs> no, it's just, you, I, you knew, you just don't, you don't know what you knew it's coming, but you didn't know when exactly. And 
Painkiller just, it's just very, I mean, I wanted to put, there was, it was a really, really hard for me, like I said, with this album, because I wanted to put, I didn't know which Priest album to put on here. It was a toss up between this and Staying Class. I didn't know which one wow. to put. I was going to put Staying Class, but I listened to both of them and I'm like, it's got to be Painkiller because every fucking song on Painkiller just makes me want to punch a baby. Just, just really fucking does. It's like, Argh! I guess, but no, my favorite Judas Priest song, though. However, we'll save that for another day. But that, you know, uh, this album as a whole is just a complete package for me. So there you go. All right. Well, we're about to round out the list. I'm going to make this short and sweet because I know that we're definitely going like way long on this episode. But <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna try to make this as quick as possible due to my lack of notes and life. So number one. Big surprise, kill switching games. <laughs> the third t- half your list. This is great. <laughs> it technically is like two and a half, but <laughs> well, you've got to listen to this band now. I have to listen to this band now. Holy shit. <laughs> to be I think Kill Switch is actually sponsoring this episode, but I digress. <laughs> the album is The End of Heartache, which uh at this point, Jesse Leach was not in he was not the lead singer of the band at this time. He did provide additional vocals for Take This Oath. But Howard Jones was in the group at the time. Okay, now here's the thing. There were two singers in Killswitch Engage. One of them is Jesse Leach, which I explained. He he was there. He left. He came back. That's where we're at now. And then there was Howard Jones, who I love. I, I loved him as a singer. I just, I loved him. And this album was showcasing to to me his talent but as well as musically where they were it was a for me it was a peak moment for them at that time and right now i think they they're they're getting better though like they they continue to get better they they're not a band that's going backwards they did for a while after this but they're definitely they're they're going up they're going up but for some reason this this album's going to stick out to me for a plethora of reasons the reason why is every single fucking song is phenomenal and I know all the songs, which is also part of it, because I'm not an album person. But End of Heartache was one of the singles that completely changed my fucking life in terms of, again, one of those ones that just spoke to me. It just it spoke to my to my soul. I, I don't know. That sounded really fucking emo, but it really did. Yeah. The Rose, Rose Sharon is another one. Uh, a Bid Farewell. Phenomenal song. Take This Oath, like I mentioned before. What's another good one that I like? Breathe Life. That's that's a good one. Every 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 song is good. So even if we're going to sit here and we're going to do the, like, which one, which one do we like? Which one we don't like? Everything is amazing. But Flagship Song is going to be The End of Heartache, which was also featured on... Oh, my God. Hold on. Thank you. Rose, it was in the Resident Evil movie because I oh, remember wow. that video. So I don't think that was why I was introduced to it. If I'm not mistaken, I believe I was introduced to it. It was like MTV late at night, 1 a.m. when they used to actually play vi- you know, music videos. And I remember seeing this this band and hearing that first fucking riff. That and it was like, what the fuck is this? And then here comes this, this burly black guy singing these fucking melodic <laughs> tunes. And you're like, what is happening here? So this guy is screaming his fucking balls off. But then he's carrying a tune that's so fucking soulful, 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 so soulful <laughs> that it combined these two fucking powerhouse interests in me. And it was combined into this man and in this band. And it blew my fucking pants right off me. <laughs> Literally. Wow. 
I'm now. I know this is turning sexually, but I had a really big crush on Howard Jones. For I mean, honestly, as she's doing this list, people, she's probably not wearing pants as she's talking about this man in Spain. True story. Like, I I yeah. never wear pants, but this, <laughs> but this, no, I. But seriously, it was it was just it was it, it was amazing. The end. It's an amazing album. It's a great album. Go fucking listen to it. End of heartache alone, which is the single, which I hate being that person that's like the single's the best one, but the single will completely interest it will interest you and if it doesn't interest you then i don't want to talk to you anyway so it's fine there you have it folks <laughs> i'm sorry i'm just this is listen i'm sorry i'm very uncomfortable right now but what's making me really comfortable is knowing that his voice will serenade me after this podcast it's, it's fine. like warm apple metal pie it'll just it, suit your soul you it go. really really is so listen to it because there's going to be a pop quiz gray talon after this fucking episode <laughs> Oh, geez. Now I'm going to have to just uh, learn my ABCs and kill switch E's. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. KSEs. 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 <laughs> All okay. right. What about, so, Will. Number one. Oh, here we go. The self-titled Black Sabbath album. Ah, I had a feeling that was going to be it. I was wondering yeah. which one it was. Yep. My favorite metal album of all time. Nice. Um, I mean, yeah, it started it all. Um but I think some facts that are interesting about it was that it was recorded all in one day. Oh, wow. Yeah, it took about 12 hours to do the whole thing. And they pretty much just tracked live as a band. They they kind of just played their set musically as they had been doing. And Ozzy just sang to it. And, and that was that. There's very few overdubs, a little bit here and there for guitars and a little bit vocals for Ozzy. And the harmonica part, obviously, in The Wizard. Right. And and that was it. They pretty much just let it fly. Yeah, it, it's yeah. iconic, and it's 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 you know it's it still stands the test of time. It's it's a little dated production wise, but I mean it's it's the first. I mean you have your songs about Satan and, and just mm-hmm. evilness that you know. Apparently the the self titled track was based on a, a live experience that Geezer Butler had, where uh, Ozzy gave him some book about magic. And he put it in a cupboard, and then the next day it was gone. Like, oh, shit. Moved on its own. Really? Yeah, he remembers waking up in the middle of the night and seeing a black figure standing above him, which spawned the line, you know, what is this that stands before me? Oh, that's that's fucking creepy. That's amazing. I did not know that. Ooh. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, then just the second side of that album, for those of you who do cassettes or vinyl, it's, it's basically, to me, Heavy Metal 101. Just all those guitar solos and riffs, it's just Tony Iommi going off. Um, you know, namely those yeah. songs. It's basically 14 minutes of just nonstop. A bit of finger, sleeping village, warning. It's just, it's basically one whole long jam session of, of the band. Ozzy's hardly even singing in there. It's yeah. just riffs and solos one after another. When Ozzy does actually come in, you if you listen closely, you can hear his voice is like cracking and like shot because... Yeah. Yeah. He, they had b- basically been tracking all day, you know, so he didn't have time to rest his voice. You can actually hear his voice sounds different on the second side of that album. Yeah, you know, I always wondered that. I did not know that it was because they recorded all the fucking. That's got to be some type of record recording in one day. Holy shit! I don't know. Uh, it's pot. There are bands that have definitely done it. Some bands like to work fast, and I'm I'm in that crowd. I, I do prefer to do it all in one shot. Right. Uh, I think it was Bill Ward who stated like that's the way albums should be made. Like. If you have the magic and you have everything ready, just do it in one shot. Why are you going to take time and draw it out? You know, right. potentially lose the flow. You know, coming back over several days or several weeks, or sometimes months. You know, yeah. bands to finish tracking. You lose the magic. That's right. Yeah, 
But uh, yeah, I mean, great album. NIB is is obviously a standout. Oh. Is is iconic. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think seeing them live on their farewell tour, farewell tour, uh, and actually hearing them do behind the wall sleep was was a life highlight for me. Uh, it was perfect. Yes. Um, I am lucky enough to say I did see the original lineup twice. You know, with all four original members, including Bill nice. Wolf. Um, oh. So that was, you know, that was a, a good time for me in 2004, 2005. Both times I got to see that. There will, there will never be another Black Sabbath. Yeah, there really won't. Absolutely not. Mm. That's cool. No, <laughs> that's okay. I mean, hey, I mean, that's okay. I'm a little jealous of Willie Ramon because he's not only seen the original Sabbath lineup, I believe you saw Dio when he was alive too, right? I didn't see Dio play as his solo act. I saw him singing with black sabbath so the heaven and hell lineup oh okay but still you got to see the the the, the master live and, i did yeah. once one time yeah and uh, not to make you jealous but the lineup of that show was testament motorhead uh, heaven and hell and judas priest well, well at least sorry, i can but... live vicariously through you that's 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 the most important part that's yeah. okay oh so that, was, that was a ridiculous show Mm. I apologize for the sound effects. My birth control alarm was going off. Sorry about <laughs> that, guys. You gotta <laughs> stay on it. You can't miss a day. You can't miss a, a pop. You gotta pop while while it's still. You still can <laughs> pop it now. But anyway, all right. So I think this list is first of all before I I stay my number one al- uh, suggested metal album for you people to listen to. I think we've had an amazing, amazing list between the three of us. If I do say so myself, very diverse. That's so much me. It just kills switch like five times. Uh, I was gonna say we do have a little bit of, but you know what? It's biased, being biased with good intent, which yeah. only means everyone, including myself, needs to go out and listen to these bands and albums. If you haven't listened to them already, or if you have, just listen to it again because all of them are awesome, and it's just so much replay value here. It's amazing. True. And number one was very tough for me, like the rest of this fucking list. But uh, like Will, I had a struggle. I had to choose between two albums for this one band. And I had to go with, like my Judas Priest painkiller, I had to go with, okay, do I want to p- pick a favorite album being a, f- a favoritism toward a song, one song on the album, which my favorite song on in Judas Priest was in their Stained Class album, but as a whole, their painkiller album was the whole package. So I did not go with Ride the Lightning for Metallica. I went with Kill 'Em All because I just had to. <laughs> And uh, yeah, Kill 'Em All is was the first Metallica album. It was originally titled "Metal Up Your Ass," which is the uh, ep- title of this episode of the podcast, <laughs> with good reason. Honestly, it was just as a complete album and package, it completely just fucking melted your face off with nonstop catchy riffs and fucking solos in every song from parts of songs like No Remorse, where the opening is just a ripping thirty-second solo by Kirk Hammett, just. Fucking before the song even starts, you're just fucking ready to go. You're, you're so fucking ready. It's just to get you. It'll get you ready to go. You want to pump a baby to a fucking, fucking gold post. It's just, it's amazing. To, then you have the smooth breakdown uh, into that energetic first solo in the Four Horsemen that they don't do live anymore because, you know, reasons. <laughs> the, com- the complete album also included thrash version cover songs of Blitzkrieg and Am I Evil on the, uh, the whole. I don't know if that was on the album or was on the, uh, the like the remastered. I don't know if it was, but it Probably did include masters. I think they were recorded during that time. Right. Um, they, yeah, I think they were. I think they were released separately as like singles, and then ah. when they, then when they remastered the albums and put out deluxe versions, they probably put those on because they were recorded around the same time. 
Right, that's the version I heard. And this was the first, like I've heard Metallica songs here and there, but this was the first album that uh, I was introduced to by one of my old old friends in high school, and he was just like, "You have to hear this," and I'm like, "Holy shit!" And so I was like, "Can I?" I was like, "Can I have some more, please?" Mm. <laughs> I was like, "Can I have some more?" So, also the album art consists of a hammer that's just bleeding. I mean, how much more <laughs> fucking metal can you get than that? It's it's ridiculous. And the late great bassist Cliff Burton, the fucking magician of the bass guitar, gave such an epic bass symphony with anesthesia and pulling teeth on the album is just insane. And again, this album ends. Uh, that's its only sin. It just comes to a conclusion. It's the only con I could find. And a few facts about this album. The album was originally going to be called Metal Up Your Ass, as I'm sure uh, everyone on this who's uh, doing the podcast with me knows, with artwork that had a picture of a toilet bowl with a hand coming out of it, holding a dagger. But the, <laughs> the record label would not publish it due to its obscene visualization as well as the name. So the bassist, Cliff Burden, at the time, came up with the name Kill 'Em All. And also, fun fact, Dave Mustaine, leader of the band Megadeth, which almost made my list. One of their albums, Rust in Peace, almost made this list for me. Very close. Uh, Dave Mustaine of Megadeth was originally the lead guitarist in Metallica before they kicked him. the band kicked him out one month prior to recording because of their first album because of his excessive drinking problem. They were recording in New York at the time and getting ready to record. They bought him a train ticket back to his hometown in California while they were living and recording in New York and sent him on his merry way. Mustaine, though, is still credited for some songs on the album, including The Phantom Lord, love that fucking song, Jump Into the Fire, and Metal Militia. Yeah, Phantom Lord. Oh, love that fucking song. Yeah. Uh, bow, bow to your knees and bow to the Phantom Lord. Copyright. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Then the album is almost an, uh, at a fucking quadruple quadruple platinum, selling over 3 million copies sold to date. This was as of 2018. I'm sure it's fucking more now. The band, and of course, the band all closes almost every live show to date since 2003 with Seek and Destroy, as is tradition. Mm-hmm. And why it's important, honestly, to, to me, Metallica's debut album was not only phenomenal as a whole, but it was important because it pretty much pioneered a new subgenre of metal, dubbed as thrash metal, which spawned dozens of bands including exodus megadeth anthrax slayer overkill testament just to name a few who were replicating the fast and relentless style of kill em all but they did it so in their own unique spins and takes so yeah nice. yeah wow yeah that was that was it <laughs> i feel very spent from this <laughs> yeah me too i feel like i've done i feel like i'm good i, I feel right though i feel right brian <laughs> no iron made it amongst the three of us though yeah, you know, I honestly, I was gonna, I was thinking about, I was thinking about Number of the Beast, but I said, you know, or or even like Power Slave, but I said, you know, uh, I don't know, it was either between Judah, a Judas Priest album or Iron Maiden album, and I said, no, it's gotta be, gotta be Papa Halford. That's fair. So, ladies and gentlemen, this was our uh, suggested metal songs to listen to on National Metal Day, eleven eleven. Let us know what you think. Uh, you can. You know, you can let us know. You can communicate with us. You can go on. Uh, you can go on Instagram or even our, like our Facebook page, The Geek Burrito, Twitter, The Great Town, Twitter, um, My Ghoulish Adventures on Twitter. You can go ahead and follow those pages. You know, let us know what you think, right? Or or don't. I mean, I don't. I don't want to hear about how I put the same band for like twelve times. <laughs> <laughs> You're biased. You're very. I'm biased. Very biased. Again, it's it's my podcast, and I do what I want. <laughs> 
yeah, whatever you do what you want yeah. but yeah exactly <laughs> no i mean hey that's just to me in my opinion you know i don't know anything i don't know shit but the more you list a band i mean i was going to list multiple bands twice but i didn't know like honestly wanted to but hey you were the bravest one of all that of all three of us and listed a band more than because you just said fuck it you're doing it live mm-hmm. fuck it doing, doing it live now. and i have no fucking notes except i just like this these are my facts i just like things <laughs> that's, that's, that's just it but don't worry, guys. I'm gonna make up for it for the next podcast because Disney, we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> totally have notes, facts, yes. data, analytical agendas, the whole nine. Next week, Halloween Queen and I are in honor of Disney Plus being uh, unleashed into the public in the wild. We are gonna go through our top Disney something. We're not gonna leave, we're not gonna let you know what, but Disney something coming next I week. I promise you, it's gonna be there. We are doing research on on your behalf. For what will be a funny episode. So yes. if music isn't your forte and you like Disney and you like weird shit, just stay tuned next week. We are staying very topical and very to, to the traditions of the calendar. Like this week is National Metal Week and then next week is going to be the uh, the Disney Plus launch week. And then every every week we're going to try and do something a little bit, uh, a little bit fun for you. And next week is going to be very explicit as Halloween Queen said. So <laughs> put on your, put on your uh, NSFW not safe for work goggles or or earphones rather. Yeah, and and no no children can listen to this Disney podcast. It's not it's it's not no, one of no, those. Not safe for work or no. children, but everybody else is welcome. Please, Every, everyone else is welcome. Leave your kids at home. I don't. I don't yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't want to hear, mommy. What's a, what's magma? <laughs> <laughs> we're not responsible for the raising of your children. I'm sorry. No, we're not responsible for any smegma. No, we're not. No, we're not. We're any kind of cleanup. But anyway, uh, this has been the Great Town Halloween Queen T and Willie Ramon saying thank you for joining us and good night. And we'll see you next time. Bye.